0: Please turn in your Bibles with me to our passage today of 1 Thessalonians 1, and follow along as I read aloud. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God. For they themselves report concerning concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven and whom he raised from the dead Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come This is the word of the Lord
1: Good morning Well, like we said earlier, my name is Brian Glass, and it is a joy and privilege to be here again with you on the Lord's Day to worship together as the body of Christ. And it is just such a joy for me to be here to open God's Word and along with you, even as I preach that the Lord would do a work in my heart to bring about the life transformation that only His Word and His Spirit can bring to all of us. But even to me, as I stand here this morning, I just confess That I am in need of his grace, his mercy, as much as any of you, perhaps even more, especially in this moment as I exposit this text that's before us. And before I was part of Providence, a, a sister church here that this church was birthed out of, I was a lead pastor in Knoxville, Tennessee at a church there. And one summer, I remember a couple of years or so ago, we were traveling from Knoxville to New Orleans, Louisiana to visit some family. We had myself, my wife, and our three kids and two of their best friends in the car with us. And heading down there, going 75 miles an hour down the interstate, when all of the sudden... An 80,000-pound 18-wheeler who was also traveling 75 miles an hour swerved over into our lane and collided with our precious minivan. Friends, we knew that that thing had hit us. The noise was deafening and the impact was jolting. There was no doubt in our minds that we were hit by something so much bigger than us. And the condition of our van that you see here in these pictures left no doubt that when you collide with something that's bigger than you, you know it. That is true when you collide with an 18-wheeler, but it is also even more abundantly true when you collide with the creator of the universe when the creator of the universe, when God pursues you and collides with you in a gospel-empowered collision, there's no doubting it. You know it. When you collide with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that collision leaves you transformed and your life never the same. And this type of gospel collision with God is something that we all desperately need from the time we are in our mother's womb and come into this world. From the moment we are born, we have put our lives against God in our depravity, in our inherited sin. The Bible says we're enemies of God with the pedal to the metal, making our way straight to experience the wrath of God and collide with his wrath for all eternity. Therefore, all of us, our greatest need as sinners is to have a gospel collision where God saves us by His grace, His mercy, and His love. The Apostle Paul, who penned the letter to the Thessalonians in our text that we read here and go through this morning, certainly knew what it was like to collide with the power of God in the gospel. Paul was indeed traveling, as you know, pedal to the metal to wipe out the church by imprisoning and even killing followers of Jesus. But Jesus was also pedal to the metal pursuing Paul, resulting in a gospel collision that brought about Paul's salvation and transformation that nobody who knew Paul could deny. This was also true for the believers in Thessalonica that Paul addresses in our letter this morning. Paul had visited them on his missionary journey and did nothing but proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. He preached nothing but Christ. And when he did, these people who were steeped in idolatry, who were steeped in sin, living amongst a pagan culture and indulging in it as well, collided with the power of God and the gospel. And this collision was undeniable as they were saved and transformed by Jesus That's why Paul begins writing his letter in verses 1 and 2 with his customary introduction, but also giving thanks to God always for the church in Thessalonica. For every single one of them, he makes mention to uh, to God in his prayers for them because he has seen the results of this gospel collision that they had experienced and bring about transformed lives for the glory of God. And he acknowledges three things here starting in verse 3 that he remembers and are evidences that they truly had this gospel collision. In verse 3 it says he's giving God thanks and constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Here Paul praises God for three main things— a work of faith, a labor of love, and steadfastness of hope, which were all outpouring evidences that they had had a collision with the power of God in the gospel. First off, their work of faith. There was an outward ministry that was evident, that was rooted in and produced by their faith in Christ. This collision with God had resulted in a genuine faith that had then become evidenced by their works, in how they served and loved one another and had a ministry and a work of faith. Second, a labor of love. Their work that they did not only honored God, but showed their love and gratitude for God and those that they served around him. They had a genuine love for Jesus, leading to sacrificial and loving service to others as a result of this gospel collision. And third, a steadfast hope. These people were saved in the midst of a pagan and idolatrous Gentile region. And no doubt, as they placed their faith in Christ, if you read on through the rest of this letter, they were experiencing persecution at the hands of their countrymen. And even in the face of persecution, their service to Christ was not slowed down. Not by one bit, because their hope was in the fact that no matter how bad things got in this world, that Christ would indeed return to rescue them and bring them into his presence forever as a result of this gospel collision. When this church collided with the power of God and the gospel, they were transformed forever, and the transformation was evident. And I think it's good for us to remember that not only their saving and transforming work, but also ours, was not something that they did on their own. This was not something that they mustered up by human effort, because no amount of human effort could ever bring about the salvation and life transformation that only God can do through the power of the gospel behind the marvelous backtrap of what we see in the lives of those in Thessalonica and those here in this room who have also had that gospel collision is a powerful, sovereign God. This collision is brought about by this same sovereign God. And if you've experienced a collision with God, just like those in, in Thessalonica, we must do first do well to step back and say that, man, to be blown away because this collision in the gospel that we've experienced was something that God had ordained and orchestrated even before the foundation of the world. He goes on to say in verse 4, "'Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you.'" Those who have had a gospel collision with the creator of the universe are chosen by God. Believers here are described as beloved and chosen. I think we would all acknowledge certainly that God deeply loves his children and has certainly chose them to be recipients of his love, his grace, and his mercy. But this happened even before the foundation of the world. I think it's mind-blowing if we take a step back and really think about that. That the, the salvation that these Thessalonians experience and those in this room who have trusted in Christ, it was the sovereign plan of God before time even began. Scripture makes it clear that God didn't just start loving His children the moment they were born, or even at the moment that they were saved. The truth is that believers are chosen and loved by a whole holy, almighty and gracious God, even before the foundation of the world. Again, it's mind-blowing. To sit back and really ponder and think that a pure and holy God would choose those who would declare war against God, who were enemies against God, who were rebels against God, and choose to put them on a path to collide with His grace and His mercy in the gospel. And it wasn't because the people in Thessalonica, nor us as well, are worthy of that love. None of us are worthy of that grace and mercy. None of us are deserving of salvation, but it's only because God solely chose by his sovereign grace according to his will and for his glory to show love and grace to sinful people like you and me. So how does God do this though? God doesn't choose us like people choose the little four-legged friend called a dog that they have in their house, right? When people search for that little four-legged friend, they have some criteria, some expectations that they want in the, in the dog that they're going to call their next pet. They go out to, the, to wherever they get their dog from looking for the cutest, the healthiest, the most adorable, the most obedient pup that they can find. And guess what? Nobody's choosing this dog. Nobody. I'm sorry if your dog looks like that. You probably inherited him or her, but... Of sure, precious inside, in spirit, and love. But nobody's choosing this dog. They're only choosing this one because he meets their expectations. But friends, that's not how God chooses those who will be part of his family. If he did, he would not choose anybody because in our spiritual condition, we look like the dog on the right. If God's love were based on anything good in people, then God would love nobody. If election was because we deserved it, we would be left doomed because we're all sinners who are undeserving of even the glance of a pure and holy God. We deserve his wrath. God doesn't choose who will be saved based on any merit or quality we possess. It is simply by his sovereign grace, will, and mercy. Somebody only becomes a Christian Because a merciful God sovereignly planned and ordained for them to be a Christian even before the foundation of the world. And I know as we think about that, not only are we led to worship and awe and comfort, but we're also led to some questions as well, right? I mean, it's hard to wrap our minds around. And, And good and godly men, let's be honest, disagree on the finer points of the sovereignty of God and salvation, and it's hard to wrap our minds around it. But we would all agree that Scripture does indeed show at some level. And we can't understand at all that God is sovereign, yet man responsible. But we can all acknowledge for sure that our God is a loving, merciful, and gracious God who showers love upon sinners even before the foundation of the world. So what's our response Our response to these types of truths shouldn't be to fight and argue and divide and cause heated debates. Instead, this truth of God's sovereignty is always presented to give believers in the Lord Jesus Christ comfort. Comfort to know that, hey, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, believer, God has chosen you, and it ignites our worship. I encourage you this morning, if you are in Christ, know and be comforted that God chose you to be his before the foundation of time. Let that sink in. That means today, since God's choice of you was totally unconditional, his love still completely remains unconditional. His keeping of you remains totally unconditional. God in eternity past chose you He chooses the ugly dog, spiritually speaking, because all of us are ugly dogs, spiritually speaking, before our conversion. May that lead us to grace, I mean to awe, to comfort, as we think about the amazing sovereign grace of our God. He saved us because he ordained a collision with us in the gospel before the foundation of the world. It is true, Christian, you have been chosen by God. But second, in the parameters of time, you have also been converted by God. Election is by the sovereign grace of God, but conversion is by the sovereign, powerful work of God in the miracle of conversion. This work that he ordains before the foundation of time comes about in conversion when a sinner comes head to head, comes into a gospel collision with the God of the universe and the truth of the gospel. And in conversion, God unleashes the power of his word and the power of his spirit to transform someone into a new creation. Notice verse 5. Paul says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. But also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Here we see the, the beautiful recipe for conviction of sin and repentance that leads one to conversion, to salvation, to the miracle of being born again. The recipe is the Word of God and the Spirit of God powerfully colliding with the sinner's heart. Conversion comes, though, as we see. Paul says, not only through the Word of God, but it certainly does come through the Word of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an essential piece of conversion. Without the gospel, no one is converted. Ephesians 1.13 says, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Here we see that Paul says that conversion comes through the hearing and believing of the gospel. And in Acts 17, you see Paul, that is the message that he proclaimed in Thessalonica. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was dead set to proclaim the gospel and nothing else. The words of the gospel must go forth for genuine conversion to happen. And sometimes as, as a pastor and shepherd, I sometimes hear people say that my conversion experience is one where I had this great feeling and this great experience. And, and man, I just know that it was Jesus. And that's how I got saved. And out of love for them and wanting to hear more of their story, I, I ask, hey, well, well, who shared the gospel with you, and, and did you believe the gospel? Tell me about that, and sometimes, sadly, I get blank stares back like, well, well what do you mean? I, I had this feeling, I had this experience, and, and that was Jesus and friends. An experience and a feeling may be part of genuine conversion, but it is not genuine conversion unless it is through hearing and believing the gospel. And the truth of the gospel, friends, is so simple that the littlest of children can believe it and can hear it and understand it. As Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose from the dead, simple words, but words that contain power. A child can understand the truth of Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is so simple that a child can understand it. But it is so powerful and weighty and heavy that only God can contain it. And the words of of the gospel may sound like at times like the simple words of men. And again, these aren't just the words of men. They're the powerful words of God that Paul said that he was not ashamed of because the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. It pierces the soul. It converts sinners and transforms them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. The gospel is such a powerful weapon in the arsenal of the Holy Spirit that brings dead people to life. First Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this reason... We also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, see there's the hearing and receiving the word of God, you accepted it not as the words of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Friends, people are saved through a collision with God's word through the gospel, resulting in faith, resulting in conversion. But conversion also happens when sinners collide with the Holy Spirit. When the gospel goes forth, the Holy Spirit is sovereignly at work to bring one to full conviction of their sin, to lead them repent to repentance, to quicken their heart and bring them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're like me, in your conversion, one day you thought that you just finally woke up one day and got smart enough to say, you know what? This Jesus guy, he's he's worth placing my faith in. And we think that we solely came to that decision on our own. And while certainly we did believe in Christ, we believed the gospel, but we must also know that we believe because the Spirit of God brought us to believe. Dr. Erwin Lutzer, who was the uh, pastor for Moody Bible Church for many years, used to take his students on field trips to a local cemetery. He did so so they could preach. He says this, I take them to a little cemetery and I have them all gather around a certain gravesite. I point out the name and I tell one of the students, preach the gospel to Mr. Smith here. They look at me like I'm nuts. So I preach to Mr. Smith with enthusiasm, sir, Jesus died for your sins and you must put your faith in him. Then I look at the students and I tell them, this is no different than preaching the gospel to unsaved people. The Bible says that they are dead in their sins. You can preach your heart out, but nothing will happen unless God does a miracle to give them the life to listen. When you believed in Christ and the gospel, it was because the Holy Spirit collided with you as well. And he brought home the power of the words of the gospel to your heart with full conviction. Again, Paul says for our gospel in verse 5, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Any response to faith with faith in Christ is due to a supernatural work of God. When the gospel goes out, it goes out in power, and when the Spirit lands it on the human heart, it results in conversion. It's a beautiful thing, and many of you in this room have experienced that conversion, that that miracle. So, how do we respond? Well, I think we look back at how Paul started this letter. We respond with thanksgiving and praise to God. We respond in worship because of God's sovereign choice of us and God's sovereign conversion of us. And even as we will see God's sovereign transformation of us in the gospel that is still at work in all who believe, we give Him praise and glory every day of our lives. Without God, in his sovereign work, we would have dead, been dead set on running from him, running our hellbound race like we sang earlier. And if it wasn't for Jesus stepping in and sovereignly pursuing us to collide with us in the power of the gospel, we would be doomed forever. Conversion is a miracle. It should blow us away. When people ask, hey, I'm waiting for a miracle, or hey, does God still do miracles? May we never forget that the salvation of a sinner is indeed a miracle. Salvation is a miracle. And sometimes we might say, well, my testimony is kind of boring or, you know, it's not as exciting as so-and-so's testimony. Every salvation is a miracle because someone who is dead, raised to life, is never boring. It's a miracle. So may we just take a step back as often as we can and dwell on the miracle of salvation that has come to us at the hands of a sovereign God and give him the praise, glory, and honor that he deserves. A gospel collision results in a church that is full of chosen, converted people, but next, also a people who are changed by God. Again, Paul wrote earlier in the verse we read that the gospel is still at work in those who believe. The gospel and its, transform, and its collision that we've had with the power of God in the gospel just doesn't stop at our salvation, but it continues to empower us and grow us to become more like Christ in our sanctification. Notice verse 6, talking about the church in Thessalonica. He says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, receiving the word in great affliction with joy from the Holy Spirit, said that you became a model for all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Look Look at this. They received the word during great affliction, but with joy. No one usually puts affliction and joy together, but again, it's a sovereign work of God. It's joy from the Holy Spirit. And when someone collides with God, that joy continues as a fruit of the Holy Spirit throughout their lives. And when we collide with God in the gospel, we just don't get a get-out-of-hell-free card, do we? Our lives are also transformed. They're given purpose. They're given meaning. They're given a, a, a path that makes us more like Christ as we surrender to him and his word by the power the Spirit gives us. And we are never the same. Here we see that this church was not only saved by God, they were ongoingly transformed by God. It says they became imitators of Paul, Silas, and Timothy who were certainly living lives empowered by God for the glory of God. And they also began to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ, as we will see, reflecting this transforming power to everyone they came in contact with. Friends, the apostle Paul, you remember, says that, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. And this isn't an arrogant statement by Paul saying, yeah, look at me, I'm following Jesus you come follow me. No, he is saying this because he is so assured of the power of the work of God in his life that it will not fail him that he is following Jesus because of God powerfully working in him and through him. And these people in Thessalonica walked in that model as well. They were a model of what it looked like to live for Christ in that whole region for people who had seen them and heard them and witness this transformation in our life. And again, this type of living for Christ and becoming more like Jesus does not come naturally. A lifestyle that's all for the glory of God and walking in obedience to Jesus is not something we can even muster up on our own. But it's because God is powerfully at work through those who have collided with him in the gospel. He brings us to a place of repentance. He brought the church in Thessalonica to a place of repentance where they looked at the idols that they had been worshiping and serving and all of the sins and pleasures that they had been living their life for. And God brought them to a place of repentance where they turned their back on those things to only serve the living and true God. That is only a transformation that God can bring about. Notice verse 9. He talks about those people in the region who know of this church in Thessalonica say, for they themselves openly declare about what sort of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The evidence of this gospel collision and ongoing transformation in their life was evident by all who saw. And the same should be true for us as well. And it is true for us if we are in Christ that we should be living out the gospel in our, in our lives as the Spirit of God produces that spiritual fruit within us. And friends, realize this morning that the call to obedience is a deep and holy call that we can only do by God's strength. But when we talk about walking with Jesus and obedience to Christ, we must realize that, friends, we always, even now, still fall short of perfection, And this path that the power of God and the gospel in our transformation and sanctification is one that we would all probably say, you know what, I'm nowhere where I need to be. But because of God working in my life, I am definitely not where I once was. This room is full of people who have experienced this transformation. And God certainly is sovereignly at work to work in us and bring about godly character. But listen... We too, here's where we have a heart, a part to play in our ongoing transformation in the power of the gospel to become more like Jesus and have that godly character that God so desires in his children. We are like gardeners who must expose ourselves to the right conditions for that spiritual growth to happen. We must continue to spend time in God's word to receive its truth and power that comes with it. We must continue to fight sin and serve faithfully in his strength. We must continue to be in prayer and, and live a lifestyle dependent upon God. We must continue to spend time gathering as his church because walking with Jesus in spiritual growth is not something we can do on our own. Instead, he's given us the body of believers to do life with, to have fellowship, to grow spiritually with one another. These things don't cause the growth necessarily but they certainly put us in the conditions and environment for God to work in us. And if we don't, it can stunt that growth. I remember back many, many years ago when I was training for a marathon at one point, I had purchased one of these hydration packs that you fill with water and you wear on your back and it weighs like 10 pounds and, and you can drink water while you're running with this hydration pack on you. And I'm sitting here going, man, this thing is gonna make me run faster. This thing is gonna make me be more efficient. Like this is gonna make my run so much more enjoyable. It's gonna be amazing. That is until I actually put it on and began to run with it. The weight of that thing slowed me down And I had little kids running past me. I had people who were double my age running past me as I'm trying to carry the weight of this 10-pound water sack on my back that I thought was going to make my runs more enjoyable. Friends, I think that that's a picture, that in a similar way, sin and idolatry that God calls us to repent of, to turn from, can weigh us down and stunt our spiritual progress. We might think that putting on some sin and idolatry and and sinful pleasures and indulgences may make our lives more enjoyable. We might think that finding our ultimate comfort, joy, purpose, and satisfaction in other places but God, which is modern expressions of idolatry of the heart, will make our lives smoother and easier. But the truth of the matter is that sin and selfish, godless pursuits only weigh us down, and they stun our spiritual growth. True transformation comes about with the gift of repentance. Repentance in turning from sin, and that's a repentance that not only do we experience and go through at the time of conversion, but every day of our lives as we see the still remaining sin in our hearts and life. If your spiritual growth this morning isn't quite where it should be, perhaps it's time to take an inventory and ask God to search you, to know you, to reveal is there any sin that you're kind of holding on to as a pet sin that may be weighing you down in making the type of progress into the godly lifestyle that God calls you to, that is keeping you from enjoying Him as your treasure. And the good news is, is once our sin is identified, we can confess it to God and be assured of His pardon, be assured of His forgiveness and live going forward in the freedom from sin that comes from the transforming work of God in the gospel. It works to change us, and there will be evidence, there will be evidence to all that we have had this life-transforming collision with the power of God in the gospel. Those who have collided with God in the gospel are chosen, converted, and changed by God, but last, they're also commissioned by God. Notice verse 8, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God in the wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. You see here, there is an expectant hope that this church had, that these believers had, that one day Jesus Christ would return to rescue them from the wrath to come. But as they waited for Jesus to return, they also knew that their lives were meant to make a difference in those around them. They wanted to bring that hope that they had to everyone around them, and therefore it says the word of the Lord sounded forth from them all over the region, every place their faith had gone forth. They were declaring the word of God, not just with their lifestyles, but also with their mouth. And anyone who has had a collision with God in the gospel should know that our commission is to go and make disciples That's being part of people's lives to help them on the next step in their spiritual walk with God, to bring them from one degree of maturity to the next. And that happens within the church with believers. But discipleship is also a call to go out into the world, outside of our comfort zone, outside of the walls of the church, and bring the good news of the gospel to people in our communities and lives. These people in Thessalonica had spread the news of the gospel and their transformation was so evident that Paul says, hey, when I went through all these regions preaching the gospel, I didn't really have to say anything because you guys had already gotten to them. You had already shared the life-transforming power of the gospel with them. Paul had nothing to say because those in Thessalonica had already shared the message. And if you're in Christ this morning, you must realize God has given us a mission to make disciples, to bring the good news of Jesus to those who are still without hope, God didn't save us just so we could sit back and watch other people struggle with sin and, and be on a path to collide with God in His wrath for all eternity. He didn't save us to be a consumer, He saved us to make disciples. And listen, friend, if you aren't using your gifts or being obedient to the Word of God to, to make disciples, and listen, not only are others missing out, on the truth and the hope that you could share with them, but you're missing out on one of the greatest purposes that God has given to us as his children. God wants us to bring that hope. And it's not that we have to share the truth of the gospel with others. It's we get to. It's not a burden. It's a privilege. God doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us in being his mouthpiece for the gospel to go forth in a lost and dying world. What a privilege we have. God has entrusted the gospel to us so the gospel can spread through us. God is sovereignly at work even as we speak right now. And as we talked about earlier, even before the foundation of the world, orchestrating and ordaining gospel collisions with people who we rub shoulders with every day And that big saving and transforming collision certainly comes through a big collision with God, but he uses smaller collisions with us colliding into those who need Jesus and we share Christ with them. So I want to challenge us. I want to challenge myself to always go through our days praying and thinking, God, who would you have me collide with today to share the gospel with? I want my prayer life to be less about me and what I need and and what others need, but like God, help me get beyond that to pray for gospel collisions with people who desperately need Jesus, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's awkward, even when I may suffer for it. I mean, imagine here at a church like Christ Redeemer Church, if we had a huge vision if all our churches would have a vision like those in Thessalonica, where the gospel went all through the th- throughout the region, what about a vision for Christ Redeemer Church, even in this season that you all are walking through? That perhaps everyone in McKinney, everyone in Frisco, everyone in Prosper, perhaps even everyone throughout Collin County would hear the gospel from someone at Christ Redeemer Church. Friends, there are people everywhere heading towards a collision with God, but it result in their destruction if they are without Christ. But we can help them collide with God now by sharing the life-saving and transforming power of God and the gospel with them. And what I love is your church has made it very easy for you to have those collisions. I walked in this morning, looked at the table over there. You have invite cards. You can simply walk up to somebody and say, you know what? I go to church at Christ Redeemer and put this in their hands. And yes, hope that they come to church, but watch. Watch and pray that perhaps through just simply handing someone a card, they may say, well, hey, could you tell me about your church? Could you tell me about what you believe? This is a ticket, perhaps, to a gospel collision that God is so desperately calling us to have. And think about it, that perhaps even right now, there are people all around us who are chosen by God, who He is destined to be converted by God, who are right now waiting for a faithful follower of Jesus to share Christ with them so they too can have that gospel collision that you experienced. Friends, October is a special month for me because 22 years ago, I had my gospel collision with a sovereign God and he saved me in the month of October 22 years ago. And as I read through this passage and prayed through it this week, I was just reminded of his saving of me and i am so thankful for those for for god and i give him all praise and glory but i'm also thankful for those faithful believers in my life that shared christ with me and i pray and hope that as we leave here today and even as we enter into observing the lord's supper that we can reflect on our own personal gospel collision we've all experienced if we're in christ and give god praise and glory and honor but also realize that this salvation is something that's too good to keep to ourselves, and we must be on mission to collide with others with the truth of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit who brings about the truth to the truth of the word of the gospel and the power of your word to our hearts and our lives. Father, we just pray, Lord, that we would always reminisce and focus on the fact that you are, have been so good and your sovereignty and your sovereign grace that you've showered upon us, who, those of us who know Christ. So, Father, may we just leave here and, and even in these moments just give you glory for our salvation that we would give you glory for our transformation, that in this moment you would also even reveal the the sinful attitudes or patterns or behavior, the sins we hold on to, so we can confess them to you. Father, help us to know that when we come, even to the Lord's table, we come not because we bring anything of our own, but because by your grace you have invited us to it. So Father, may we give you glory for what you've done in our salvation. We give you glory for the gospel collisions we've experienced. And Lord, I do pray that you would use us, use me, Lord. Help me to be more faithful to sharing Christ with others who need him. That we would be faithful to go from here today and share that good news of the gospel, resulting in gospel collisions, not just with us and the power of your word and your spirit, but also in glorious salvation where we would have more people all throughout this area giving glory to you and being glad in Jesus. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here today who does not yet know you, that today would be the day that that collision occurs, and by your grace and your mercy, that they would place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and forever transformed for your glory now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.